We've been on a journey from Romans chapter 6 all the way through Romans chapter 8, and we've been talking about the process of sanctification, often overlooked in the Christian's life. And I just kind of, my desire this morning is just to kind of give a somewhat of a summary, ending with the revelation of Jesus Christ, which really is the ultimate goal of sanctification. So that's what we're going to highlight on that when Christ comes again. I'm sure you're like Anita and I. There are times, uh, you know, our family gets dispersed uh, in other parts of the world. Uh, Ken and Diana were in Mexico for five years, and we got a daughter in Houston. We got a daughter in Hurricane. And so we're empty nest. Yay! <laughs> you didn't think I could do that, did you? Yeah. But we always find it great joy to have them return. We really do. There is some joy when they leave, but there's great joy. No, I'm, I'm being silly. I'm sorry. Uh, but we do have great joy in uh, them coming, our children, and with their grandchildren. And uh, especially when they've been gone a while, we think, well, when they arrive, you know, we're going to do this and this. And, you know, Anita's the planner of our family, so uh, she has her agenda there. And as soon as they get out, we kind of, they know what they're going to be doing. And we want to listen to them as well. And I'm sure it happens in your family. Uh, whether it's your parents coming for a holiday or you're going to them or you've invited friends you haven't seen for a while. It's always a great expectation when we know people are coming. So it is with Christ. He is coming. Now, I know it's been predicted in recent weeks, and that's kind of the fairy tales, but uh, Christ is coming. And uh, that is a certainty. We know not when, but he is coming. That's finality. I want us to give some consideration this morning on when Christ comes, are you prepared? What questions would you ask him? That's usually how we think about it, isn't it? Christ is coming, and what will it be like? And when we see him and all the questions, you know, uh, how long have you had heaven made? Uh, Where are the streets of gold? You know, I want to see those. And, uh, you know, where are the pearly gates? I want to take a look at those. And, uh, Lord, certainly, I don't want to forget, I know you've made a mansion for me, and that's biblically true. Uh, you have a dwelling place. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see how many floors are in it, uh, how many rooms. Uh, certainly, there'll be running water and all of that, uh, I'm sure. Those are okay questions, guys. But honestly, there's something that's probably of greater value. And that greater value is, is the great joy and expectation of Christ has in coming to ask us, to ask us. I want to kind of orient our thinking to that theme because it's a biblical theme. When Christ comes, what will it be like? What will he be saying? I'm not sure. It's really important, the questions I'll be asking him, but uh, I want to hear what he says when he comes. That's a glorious thing we're going to look at this morning because we're going to take 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through 13, which really is, is just a parallel with Romans chapter 8 that we have studied in recent weeks. So let's kind of orient our thinking this morning and saying, when he does come, what is he going to say to me? And I'm not talking about in a negative way either. When Christ, we are his children. We, we are accountable to him for our lives. That is important. But when he comes, he is going to exalt us as you have never understood it before. And the question is, are we ready for that exaltation? So if you would take your Bibles, please, and come with me. 
to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through 13. And really the, the thing we want to hit home on this morning is also to remember it will be worth it all. That's the big point. No matter what you and I are going through today, no matter what your difficulties are, and there are real difficulties and there's real pain, and there's real suffering in your life, in your friend's life, in lives of Christians around the world, those today who have lost a father, have lost a husband, have lost a child due to persecution. There's a lot of suffering. And this is the reason why God takes so many verses to explain to us what the Christian life is about. He says, before time, something has occurred. When you and I became a born-again believer, something marvelous occurred instantaneously. And from that time of new birth all the way to the coming of Christ again, that final glorification is what we call progressive sanctification. But in reality, what it really is, is progressive glorification. First, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 really tells us that from the moment of our birth, our, our being born again, our new birth in Christ, the glorification process begins. We are being glorified attribute by attribute conformed to the image of Christ, taking on the character of Christ. That is a daily process until Christ comes, which is the final glorification. Sanctification is a good word. But we've got to remember that they really parallel, and it really means basically the same thing. And the reason why that is true, because in Romans, we've just come through that great passage in the latter part, in the latter part of Romans chapter 8, where he says, you are foreknown. Before the beginning of time, God foreknew you, and he foreknew me. Not a glob of people, but individual people like you and like me. God foreknew you and he chose you. We could, we could interpret that word to mean chosen. He predestined us. He marked because he has a plan for our life and because he knew us and he selected us and he chose us, he obviously purposed, he predestined a plan for our lives so that when Christ comes, he will be glorified in his life that is in us. And that's what he's going to reveal to us as well as himself. What he wants to see is himself obviously being praised. But he is praised when he reveals in you, in me, the life of Christ. He is praised. We're going to work through that at the end uh, pretty carefully so that we grasp that. But I want to set, I want to set that before you. When Christ comes... Will he come in all of his glory? You better believe it. But the joy that he has in his coming is to reveal his life that has been in us since the new birth. And he nails it down. He says, this is not guesswork. Those whom I foreknew, those who I selected, those who I have chosen and predestined, I have, Romans 8, 28 through 30, I have called, I have regenerated, converted, justified, adopted, and glorified. This is all done. Now, 
cultural Christianity doesn't like that because we like the humanness of it is, oh, I get to choose. Well, I'm sorry, that's not in Scripture. It's just not there. And it doesn't glorify the God to force that picture. It does great damage. It's, it's not reality. This is the Scripture. This is beyond any... It's just true, even though we may not like it. He called me. He called you. He regenerated us. That's the new birth. We responded. That's called conversion by faith and repentance. He declared us right with Him. He adopted us as His children. And He already, in His mind, in His plan, we are glorified. And the moment we are born again, He begins that glorification process. He begins to develop in us the character of Christ. We begin to learn and to enjoy to forgive one another. We begin to learn to rejoice in one another's successes. We also take on the burdens of one another when there is failure. We don't shoot them, we care for them. We seek to restore them. Those are all the characteristics of Christ. And that is the process. And the finality of it is when we have our redemptive body, a new body. This old body goes to the grave forever, and we have a new resurrected body. That is at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've been talking about. Now we want to give close attention to this right here. What is that like? Come with me, please. In verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's writing to those who are aliens. That is, even though they may have citizenship in the Roman Empire, they're treated as aliens. They live throughout Pontus, Galatia, these are providences in Asia Minor, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are primarily Jewish believers who are living in those providences that are under severe persecution. Let me show you a map where that is, just so you kind of get an idea where it's at on, in a map. And uh, basically you say, well, okay, great, there's some names there you just read. What does it look like today? This is modern Turkey, that area there. That is who he is writing this letter to because they're under enormous persecution by the Roman Empire. You see, these Christians, they won't get with the pluralism and the syncretism of that day. They won't say, okay, it doesn't make any difference. We're all going to get to heaven anyway. You have your gods. You have multiplicity of gods. Or even if you just have the gods of the emperor. He's a God. It doesn't make any difference. We Christians have a God. We call him Christ, but it doesn't make any difference. We're all going to make it. And so Peter writes to them and saying, if you stay true to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the message of Christianity in a world that is foreign to the principles of God, you're going to be persecuted. And so he writes them and he says, you ought to expect this. And I will use it for your good. Will there be pain? Will there be suffering? Will there be death? Yes. But I want you to fixate upon this. It will be worth it all when you're here. Today, it doesn't seem like it. And I understand that. It's not for me. It's not for you either. But if I can look and say, but one day I am sure, I am absolutely sure by God's word that one day I will look back and say, yes, all of this was worth it for this moment and throughout eternity. 
In verse 2 then, actually if we were reading this from the original text, it would read like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, and then the providence again, chosen. In some of your scriptures it says who are chosen. That just makes it easier English reading. But Peter is really emphasizing this thing. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to these persecuted Jewish people primarily, and he says, chosen. They are described, it's an adjective here, he describes them as chosen. It's not this modern-day cultural Christianity foreknowledge, meaning, well, God knows all things and God knows what you would do when you hear the gospel, and since he knew you would accept him, he chose you. It doesn't fit with Scripture. It's kind of like a person saying, if you and I were building a home, and somebody said, you know, i got a question to ask you, Don. Why would you stick a door there? Well... I would put a door there because it was in the print. So that's how it got there. So that's based on God knowing from the print that this, the print says put a door there and the carpenters put a door there. That's not this word. This word in that same analogy is God designs the blueprint because he's the designer. And that door is there because God put it there. You see, this is not knowledge based on... Is God omniscient? Well, obviously. This foreknowledge is I chose for personal, intimate relationship forever. That's the word. And so when he comes then to verse 2, he just says, as an adjunct, I want to describe this. Chosen. That's who you and I are. We are Chosen. Chosen of God. I didn't pick Him. I was dead in my sins. Depraved. Totally separated from Him. How can a spiritually dead man choose God? It does. It makes no logical sense. And rightly so, because it isn't sensible. Even though you and I have been overwhelmed by cultural Christianity to say, oh yeah, God just throws it out there and men decide and women decide whether they want it or not. Well, that just destroys depravity, which God has said so often in Scripture. Be that as it may, you got it. Now, chosen, how? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Not by His advanced knowledge, but because He authored the plan and says, I want you, and I will get you. It's almost like being drafted for some of you World War II veterans. You didn't choose, some of you did, but some of you were drafted, and you had what? And then you ended up saying, this is a good deal. Okay, be that as it may, that's an earthly illustration. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, well, how did that happen? How did that, how did that occur? Here it is, by the sanctifying, the setting apart work of the Spirit. You don't see Don in there anywhere. You don't see Ben Wilson in there anywhere. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Why did He choose us? He chose us two things. To obey Jesus Christ, to pay attention to Christ, and to be sprinkled with His blood. Anytime there was a sprinkling of blood, it was a ratification of a promise, a ratification of covenant. You see it throughout the Old Testament. And so two things are here. I chose you to obey me, Pay attention to 
Christ's commands. And secondly, to ratify that you have a covenant with God. And that covenant is to obey. You know what? If you're truly born again, you rejoice in that covenant. You don't say, oh, man, I don't want to obey Christ, but he selected me, and I guess I'm going to have to do it. That's foreign to Scripture. Because when God chose us and regenerated us, he, the Spirit of God, comes in us, and I say, yes, I want to obey. Is it difficult? Well, sure, because I'm human. So are you. Now he goes on to say then, may grace, may God's goodness, may God's goodness granted to those who are undeserving and deserve punishment and peace, favorable circumstances, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Did he know they were under persecution? Yes. Because God can make that occur in the midst of our suffering. Now then, look at verse 3. So the believers have been identified, chosen. Then he tells us how he did it. And then he blesses, and the fact is, by grace and peace may be in abundance. What's the blessings? Verse 3, blessed. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, God's goodness to those who are in misery and distress, According to God's great mercy has, now watch this, has what? What's the text say? Who according to his great mercy, whose great mercy? God. Who caused us to be saved? What is this man thing? God just makes savable the whole world, and we walk around saying, oh, I think I'll take that. It's a good deal. It's impossible. It's impossible. It says very clearly, even in the English text, has called us to be born again. God the Father caused us to be regenerated. He did it. How did he do that? He said to a living hope. He has a purpose why we are regenerated. To a living hope. A reference to that confident expectation. I chose you. I justified you. I declared you right through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christ came forth from the grave the third day to prove that is true and will always be true. And I already in my plan from here, I have been predestined you to be glorified. And now the process begins every day of your life, 24-7. Why? Because my plan is to bring you here. So that when my son comes, he will exalt you for the life that has been in you and you have surrendered. That's your responsibility. Surrender to him, to the work of the Spirit of God, to glorify, to magnify the life of Christ in you and me. That's the joy of, the, of, the, of Christ coming. He's coming for me and you. He's not coming to take us back to heaven for the sole purpose of saying, now, in case you've forgotten, the gold streets, which are really there, but they're on the third block to the right. And let me show you your mansion. That may all be. I don't know. I know he has a place for us, and there are streets of gold, and there are gates of pearl. 
But I do know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the joy of Christ is to come and to say, Calvin, wow, I thank you. You surrendered yourself and you became this person in Christ. And I just want to exalt you. You know what Calvin's going to do? He's going to say, oh, but Lord Jesus, I would have never been able to do that if you hadn't died for me unless I had your life, unless the Spirit of God enhanced that in my life and enabled me, unless God the Father had planned that. I would never be like this. All praise is to you. See how that works? That's exactly what Scripture says. That is the passion of Almighty God. Does he want to be glorified? Yes. How is he best glorified? Knowing that his life in fallen humanity like you and me, he has turned it around, taken us from the slave market of Satan, made us a slave of Christ, radically changed our life and said, Wow, here's my life in a human being who was born depraved and without any hope. It's his life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that I had been saved over 20 years and I never knew that? Now, I'm not, that's partly my fault. We're not the only ones that say this truth. That truth is going out around the world. But there is so much cultural Christianity that says, oh, well, humanly, as I look at that, that certainly can't be right. Because all, we would have no choice. Well, sure you have choice. How many chose to come this morning? See, some of you were forced to. Way to go, ladies. <laughs> In all seriousness, I have choice. That choice is always based on who, am I, who I am a slave to. I made all kinds of incredible bad choices the first 27 years of my life. And when God chose me and redeemed me and regenerated me and adopted me into his family and justified me and glorified me and I became a slave of Christ, now I used my chooser. (laughs) I used choice to obey him. Because he says in Philippians 2.12 and 13, he says there that he enables us He causes us. He enables us to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's the life of Christ that is in us. The battle is on, yes, but quickly. Has caused to be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Christ was resurrected from the dead, we will be resurrected from the dead. That was proven in Romans chapter 6. Why? Why is that? To obtain an inheritance. What's the inheritance? I mean, how big is this farm in heaven going to be? I mean, do I get a hotel chain? Do I get it on the beach? I don't know. There's just something better. The inheritance is, from this verse that we're looking at here in verse 4, to obtain an inheritance. To be free of sickness? Yes. Why? Because when I have a tummy problem... I'm not very effective. I whine too much. We are set free from our sicknesses and all other things that hinder us from going full bore with the life of Christ. 
And heaven takes that all away. That's going to be wonderful. That I will never be bothered by the fallen Adamic nature, by a fallen corrupt body to hinder me from exploding in worship to God. Now we learn from our sufferings. We learn to depend on God. But let's face it. Some of you stay home when you're sick, and I appreciate that because it doesn't pass it on. But you don't come, not because you don't want to come, but because you don't feel like coming. I want you to get this, please. To be free of sickness, to be free of sin. Why? So I can know him, know him. What did Jesus say to his father in John 17 in verses 1, 2, and 3? I am eternal life. You have eternal life. And why do you have eternal life? Anybody remember? That you may what? Know him. Ah, that's what heaven is about. God frees me from all of the discomforts of earth and sin and a fallen corrupt body so that you and I will be perfect and nothing hindering us for knowing him. I tell you, if you're truly born again, you have a tinge when you say, wow, all of eternity to know him, to know him. You may say, I, that, that's difficult, but I like it. When you were dating your wife, no, you don't date your wife. When you were dating the person that became your wife, I doubt you ever said, in, except in those little moments of premarital squabbling, but generally you were wanting more time. Why are your parents like that? Why can't we spend 23 hours a day together? They knew why you were not going to spend 23 hours with their daughter. But because of love, you wanted to spend all the time. You wanted to say, I want to get to know her or I want to get to know him. I wonder, is there any correlation that with God? If I have his life in me, I want to know him. I want to spend all the time that I can. But sometimes because of job situations and illness and other things, we can. He goes on to say, which is this inheritance, that's the inheritance. You will be free to know him without any distractions, without any limitations, without any sin, without any sickness. And this inheritance is imperishable. It's not subject to decay and which is undefiled. It is not ruined and will not fade away. You pay especially on Valentine's Day. This world system is corrupt. The florist jacks the prices of roses knowing how sensitive we as men are. Three times the price. But they, they die the same way. <laughs> Whether you pay a buck or 12 bucks a rose, they all die within the same amount of time, right? Now, he says with our inheritance, will not fade away. They will not lose. It will not lose its value. And I tell you, and he puts it in the passive voice here, and it's perfect tense, which means it is, it has been and reserved in heaven for you, Paul, and it is now reserved for you, and it forever will be reserved for you. That's what we used to call open and shut case. You can't lose it. 
Can you imagine a human being saying to God, well, I'm sorry, God, I'm tired. You just take that inheritance and give it to somebody else. I'm going to go back to the way I used to be. I was taught that all my life. Do you think my mind was on this? My mind on was, am I saved today? Am I saved this hour? Will I be saved by supper time? Oh, I blew that. I wonder if that's one of the sins they never told me about that I may lose it on. Folks, that is abuse. You want to talk about abuse? That's Christian abuse. It's like saying to your child, let's just play with our child. Let's not tell them they really are part of our family. You know, let's not let them know that they're really our child. And if you don't obey daddy and mommy's rules, you'll be somebody else's child. Now, we might have a fleeting moment of that sometimes. But people would say, well, that's abusive. You shouldn't do that to your child. And yet we indict God that he does that. If we don't obey his rules, he kicks us out. This stuff is evil. It really is. Why? Because it takes away from this. Now, now, do I believe they intend to be evil? No, I don't. But it is evil. It is wrong. It takes away from the glory of God. It's not who's right and who's wrong. It takes away from the glory of God. So, it, which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, look at the security. Look at the security in verse 5. Who are protected? Word there is, these chosen ones are watched over by God, by the power of God, through faith. You say, oh, there it is. You've got to keep the faith. It doesn't say that. Who are protected by the power of God, by the means of faith, through faith, because Faith is the evidence of God's power. It's not my power, it's God's power. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works any man should boast. Who gave you the faith? And that faith is given to us to respond, and we respond by repentance. The evidence is repentance and reliance upon God. And God says here, the security is, I keep you believing. That's just the text. There's no way you can get around that. I keep you believing. Through faith for, the expectant result is, a salvation. The power of God through keeping you with your faith, with His faith in you, for a salvation, some people would say, and rightly so. Well, is salvation present tense, past tense, or future tense? It's all of them. I was saved. I am being saved. I am being delivered. I am being delivered from me by the character and power of Christ. And I will have the finality of salvation in that I will have a new body. And God says, that is guaranteed. It's protected by God. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your full salvation at the coming of Christ is now reserved. It is waiting for you. It's like when people say, Mr. Plugger, you have petitioned the bank for X amount of dollars. 
and it is waiting for you to come in and sign. Well, maybe I shouldn't go because I'm not sure they're telling me the truth. Or what if I show up and it's not really there? Well, that could happen anywhere, but it won't happen with God. It's there. And it's there because of God's character. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice. Yes, I rejoice that it's secure. I rejoice that I know Christ is coming. Even though now, and this is his point, even now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are in being distressed by various trials. Yes, you're going through this so that you'll be ready for this. But I want you to know when you're going through this, it's already there. It's reserved for you. Your inheritance is there. It's waiting for you, your full salvation. It's not in doubt. It's just great stuff, isn't it? Here it is. It's been here all along. Then he goes on to say this. Let me, let me just give you a, a, just a parallel verse that's it's rather exciting because it, it says it not differently, but it confirms it. 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5.10. After you have suffered for a little while, this is the little while, which to you and I today seems like a long time because we're suffering, if that is the case. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself, not you, not the church, not the pastor, will Himself, God, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and what? Well, I'll just tell God someday I don't want that to be done to me. You don't tell God anything. And neither, as a true born-again believer, would you ever want to do that because the Spirit of God lives within us. We just don't respond that way. Verse 7, quickly, the believer's exaltation. Here we go. So that the proof, so that the learning that your faith is genuine. You know what? It's not in doubt that I have faith. God goes through this process in our lives too so that we will learn that we have faith. I want you to get that. It's not to lose faith. That's not the issue because it's impossible. But this process is to say, yes, my faith is genuine. I was upset. I probably said something I shouldn't have said. I grumped and growled a little bit and got distressed. But man, God is good. He got me through that. Or He's taken me through it. So that the proof of your faith, more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. What is tested by fire? Faith. That it may be found to result in praise. Look at this. That our faith that God has given to us will be found in Praise in glory and honor when? The faith I gave you here and proved to you it was genuine. You say, well, what about these people that get right here and they opt out and go back? Well, what God is saying is they don't have it. They've never had it. And that's the reason why you know they never had it because they left it. That's what he says. Makes that clear in Hebrews as well. Okay. Now then. So God bestows, carefully, let's just slow down for a moment and think this through. God bestows praise, glory, and honor on his faithful ones. And thereby praise is given to him. 
because he is the power that transformed the life. Let, let me see if I can give an illustration here. Whatever your sport is, or whatever you delight in doing, sometimes we will listen quite often to a sportscaster who's at the end of a game, let's say a baseball game, and maybe the guy hit a home run, got two singles, and made some fantastic field plays, and they just extract him after the game and said, Wow, Joe, man, what a marvelous day. Man, I mean, you hit two home runs, and wow, you made some fielding plays that, I mean, it was just wonder. How do you feel about that? And the guy says, You know, without the enablement of Jesus Christ, I give all praise and honor to him. Now, what has he just said? What has he just said? Everything I have done has not been me, but the empowerment and the enable of God. And the sportscaster exalts that. And yet the guy turns around and says, yes, all for the glory of my what? Now, come with me just a moment. Let's change it just a little bit. Let's take Dave Alderman. And God comes up to Dave and he puts a microphone and says, Dave, I just want you to know how, how appreciative. Wow. You over the years, you're, you're the oldest man at Daniels. You started in the 40s. And I tell you, your life has been such a reflection of my life. And I know there's been tough times and difficult times, but I see humility and I see honesty and I, I just see all the character, love and joy and peace. I see the fruit of the Spirit. Dave, I, I, just, I just love to manifest my life in you. And Dave is going to say, well, thank you, Jesus. I really tried hard. No. Dave, as you would, would look right at Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you for giving me the privilege to live out your life, which is given to me as a precious gift, with faith to believe. And yes, I made some choices, but I would have never made those choices if it hadn't been for your guidance and your enablement. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May you be praised. You see it, my friend? Do you see it? That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why he's coming. To exalt himself in. That's the reason why we read it in the scripture. Now, I'm going to read this really quickly. You say that's not possible with you. Yes, it is. Here we go. Verse 8, still on the exaltation. And though you have not seen him, you love him. You ever really intimately loved anybody you have not seen? I doubt it. You may have some warm fuzzies, but you don't have intimate relationship. And so here is a wonderful God who says, You have not seen Him, you love Him, though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him. Why? Because He gave me the faith to believe. His life is within me. The Spirit of God is there. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be completely saved. As to this salvation, wow, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you believers made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. 
It was revealed in verse 12, to them that they were not serving themselves, these prophets, but you, you believers, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. If he hadn't been sent, no message, no power, no enablement. Things until which the angels long to look but cannot grasp. This is for you and me as human beings born again. Verse 13, therefore, having prepared your mind, it says prepare your minds for action. It's not a command. It's really having prepared your mind for learning and thinking about the glories of Christ and continuing to be sober in your thinking, in your human spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God, continuing to think correctly, I tell you now, here's a command. Fix. Fix your hope. Fix your confident expectation. Fix your hope on the grace, that which you don't deserve, but God is going to give to you by grace to be brought to you at the what? There it is. Folks, there's nothing in the world that can match that. Having prepared your minds for action as a Christian and having continued to think correctly, even in the midst of all of this, I tell you, fix your mind on this because this process continues. And Christ is going to come back. And he's going to exalt you with him on his life that has been in you by his work. And you and I are going to say, and to the praise and honor and glory of my Lord. The fullness of your capacity to exhibit the life of Christ will be determined by how much we let him control us. We will always be his child, and we will stand before him, and we will give an account. The choice that you and I make is, Lord, how much am I going to let you have of me? That's the reason why Paul said in the letter to Galatians, I die daily. I die to self that Christ may live. In Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, so when Christ is revealed, Christ is our life, then you, believer, also will be revealed with him in glory. We will be revealed together for his glory hope that excites you. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be a hundred years from now. It doesn't make any difference. Another day is just to develop more fully to what? To reveal him. And one day he shall come. He will come because he promised. So the big point is simply this. It will be worth it all. It will be. In every trial, every disappointment, It will be worth it all. Now, folks, that's something to minister to, to people in the hospital. 
You never again will have to go to a hospital room and say, I don't know what to say. Don't ever say that again. Now, some of us have different personalities, I understand. But everybody can say something along these lines. That's what they in the bed need to hear. And when you're at the funeral home, sometimes, yes, it's just better not to say anything when people are in grief. But there are times that that opportunity comes. What would I say? May I suggest? It works anywhere because it's God's universal truth. So the application is this. Are you today excited about Christ's coming? Because you will be free then of pain and suffering, everything that hinders you from the full exhibiting of Christ's life in you. There are streets of gold. There will be a dwelling place. And it will be great. It will be on our imagination. It will be wonderful. And I, I will say, wow, you will too. But I tell you, the most important wow to me, as I understand today, is that. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Can you imagine being exalted with Jesus Christ? Because of him. Let's worship. Worship is our response to God. What do we say? Our heart to his. Lord, what do I say about this truth? That is pure, genuine worship. And we're going to take about 20 seconds and let you do that on a personal basis. If you don't know Christ, you are our friends. We love you. We remember those days. I can't save you. I can't pressure you. I can't give you gimmicks. I'm not going to ask you to walk forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Right where you are seated, do you have a desire to turn your life to Christ? If you do, say, Lord, here I am. I believe in you. And I believe all that you say about yourself and about me. And I am willing to not only have my sins forgiven, but to turn from my sin, and I surrender my life to you. That's salvation. That's the response to what God has done in your heart. Let's worship. Father, there's no doubt that we will forever and eternity sing praises to you. It is absolutely blows our minds that we were lost and without hope. There's no way we could have saved ourselves. There's no way we could have responded because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We didn't even want it. At every stage of life, we turned away from you. And yet today in this audience sets those that you have chosen. Lord, we can't save people, but you said that people respond because they hear the word of God. You have said that anybody that comes to you, you will not turn away because you have brought them. And so, Father, we give you great thanks and great praise. May your spirit honor himself and be gracious to us by clarifying these truths.
in the hearts of every person here today. For it is in Christ's name we gladly, we with a great desire, with great excitement and exaltation, we love you, we thank you for your wonderful plan before the foundations of the world. And we thank you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.